Hello, and welcome to another Bible study. I'm Matthew Johnson, lead pastor at the Tree Church, and I want to thank you for continuing to join us in our study of the book of Mark. So today, I'm going to be looking at and teaching through Mark chapter 15, specifically looking at verses 40 through 47. But in order to understand what's going on right now, you do need to know what took place prior to the verses we're going to study today. So prior to the verses we're looking at today, it is detailing the the death of Jesus. Jesus was crucified. He was hung on a cross. And this is after the other intense beatings that he took. So he was whipped across his body, which would have been a violent and disfiguring and really debilitating injury on his body. Uh, We know he took beatings. He was then hung on a cross, which is a a very excruciating way to die. It was actually designed to be uh, excruciating. It wasn't designed to be a quick death. Jesus, when he died, had a spear went up through his side. And so this was a very violent moment. But what took place prior to these verses is that as Jesus died, we know in the accounts in the gospel that beyond just simply a physical moment, there was a supernatural moment. We know one part of his crucifixion is that the sky became very dark. We know in the moment of his death, there was an earthquake. And in that earthquake, the veil in the temple was ripped from the very top to the very bottom. And this is a very long curtain, uh, probably multiple inches thick, about 60 feet tall. And it was ripped, and that was fulfilling prophecy. From that point forward, the Spirit of God that once dwelled in a temple no longer dwelt in temples made with hands, but instead made the believer the temple of God. But in the moment of Jesus' death, there was a Roman soldier, a centurion that was there, and he witnessed these supernatural acts, and it caused him to make a proclamation of faith, a profession of faith. Uh, He said, surely this man was the Son of God. And it's a powerful moment that God used immediately in the death of Jesus to bring about another salvation, which is just incredible. So that's what took place prior to the verse that we're going to pick up with today. So I'm going to read verses 40 and 41, and then we're going to just pause and look at a bunch of truths that come from these two short verses. It says this, there were also women looking on from a distance, so looking on the crucifixion of Jesus, okay? So let's just kind of set the table. Most of the disciples were not there. They had gone into hiding in fear they had left, but these women, who we'll see in a moment that were disciples, they were following Jesus, staying loyal. They were there and, and really to minister to him, even though he was on the cross. But it says, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Younger and Joseph and Shalom. When he was in Galilee, so he being Jesus, when he was in Galilee, these women followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So we look at this, and there's a few people that are mentioned by name. There's Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph, and Shalom. So there's these three women that are mentioned by name. Mary Magdalene uh, is an important figure in the Gospels. She's actually mentioned in all four accounts, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we know from another account that she was a woman who at one time suffered from demon possession, and Jesus set her free. It says that she had seven demons, and they were cast out of her. Once those were cast out of her, she became a loyal follower of Jesus. So she's one of the women mentioned. Uh, the other is Mary, and then it lists her two children that are with her, two, uh, two of her children. It's possible that this is the mother of Jesus, because we know that the mother of Jesus would go on to marry Joseph, and they would have children, and two of their children's names were mentioned in this. The only thing that people suspect is that this was a different Mary, because if this was, in fact, Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
then most likely Mark would have clarified that and made mention of that. So this is possible. It's just another woman named Mary who had children by the same name. And then another woman is named Shalom. And we don't really know who she is because she's not mentioned in any other capacity that, that we know of. But let's just pause and let's look at some important truths in these two verses. Here's the first. There were, and are to, to this day, there were women disciples, women that were disciples. Why is that important? I, I think sometimes we can look at the scriptures, and because people are mentioned by name, and there are people that, uh, for lack of a better term here, they're famous. They're well known because their names are mentioned. So we look at the account of Jesus and his 12 disciples, 11 of them that became the apostles, because we know Judas betrayed Jesus and committed suicide. But 11 of them became apostles. Paul became an apostle. And we look at them and we think that they were the disciples of Jesus. But what we know in Scripture is that there were other groups of disciples that were mentioned. At one point, there was the mention of 70, another place 120, uh, and, and other times it just said multitudes or many. But included in that group were women. Women followed Jesus. Now, they most likely had a different role, especially in that culture, they had a different role than the men who were disciples, but I want to note that their role was equally and maybe even more important in this sense because of their desire and willingness to minister to Jesus and to take care of the disciples. It allowed them to do the ministry. Without the women, there would be no ministry. Without the men, there would be no ministry. That together, they, they formed this perfect team. And this is an important part about the church. I like the way Paul mentions it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the body of Christ and that we're all a part of the body, though we play different parts. And we know this in a church setting. There are so many different parts. And I know this as a, as a lead pastor. I have a very upfront position. I'm literally upfront. I'm on stage. I'm the primary teacher at our church, which means I'm going to teach 42 plus weeks a year and also at other events. So if you come to our church, more often than not, you're going to see me on stage at some portion in the service. Uh, so I have an upfront, and you might look at that and go, well, the more upfront someone is, the more important they are. The reality is all of us together work together to make the ministry happen. If it wasn't for the incredible staff and the incredible volunteers, I wouldn't even have a ministry. So my ministry blesses them. Their ministry blesses me. Together we work to advance the kingdom of God. And that goes all throughout the church. I, I, I don't want to say from the top to the bottom because I don't view it that way. I'm saying just across the church. All across the church, there is ministry that's taking place. We have people whose ministry is to hold babies on Sunday. What an incredible ministry. We have those that clean up, that that's their role. They go around and they, they make the place look nice. That's an incredible ministry. We have those who teach children and disciple children and connect with teenagers and disciple them. We have those that secure our building, our security team, that make us all safe and to handle any problems that might happen on Sunday or throughout the week. We have full-time staff members that have a unique calling on their life, and they work to develop teams and to empower them and to train them. And we have incredible worship leaders, and we have people that are very talented with tech. And, and there's just so many different positions in our church. So these women should be an encouragement and an example to us that they were disciples. They might not have the upfront position, but again, equally important position. Here's another thing to note about them. They had strength. Now, I want to point it out. They had strength unlike the men. The men scattered and went into hiding. 
They were afraid for their lives. These women could have also been afraid for their lives. I want to note it. It wasn't just because they were women that they got a free pass. They could have been targets of the religious leaders to be put to death or to, to be shamed or to be abused. But they stayed loyal to Jesus. They continued to follow him. And that points out their devotion. So they had strength. They had devotion. They were devoted to Jesus, and they were not going to leave his side. They followed him through the crucifixion process, all the way to his death, and we'll see in a moment, even after his death. They're the ones who went to the tomb. They're the ones who went to, to minister to him. So this is an incredible example for all of us. So I want you to be encouraged in that. Whatever role you play in the church, it's important because it's allowing all the other ministry to take place. So let's go on to verses 42 through 47. It says, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So I want to pause and break down these two verses. So it was the day before Sabbath. On the day of Sabbath, the Jewish people would not be able to do any work. So that would include taking down the body of Jesus from the cross and preparing him for burial. So they had to do that on the day before, the day of preparation. And so they would have even had to hurry. We know from the time when Jesus died until darkness in the evening, it would have been very limited. So this was a very hurried process that they needed to take care of so that they wouldn't be in sin themselves. Joseph of Arimathea, it's important to note who he was. He was a member of the council, a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem is the, the highest level of spiritual authority. And when I say spiritual authority, I would also say authority within the Jewish community, because they were a spiritual group. So in, in many ways, they designed themselves to be a theocracy, that God was the leader and he appointed these individuals uh, to govern them. So they were technically under King Herod, but they really saw their authority being the Sanhedrin. They would have handled their court cases, the judicial process to determine what cases needed to be heard. They would have sentenced them. So this was the ultimate authority. Uh, we know not from this account, but from other accounts, that uh, Nicodemus, who was also a Pharisee, was with Joseph of Arimathea. So these two religious leaders, now this group are the ones who condemned Jesus to die and really tricked Pilate into killing him. These two members were a part of it. So we don't know specifically. They might have voted to abstain. They might have voted against it. They might have been absent from the proceeding, though I doubt that. But they were searching for God. They had open hearts of faith. So in this moment, out of their respect for Jesus, because it's possible they didn't fully believe in him, they might have been devastated like everyone else. He's dead because, again, he is truly dead, and we're going to note that in a moment. But he's dead, but they asked for his body. So they want to take down his body from Pilate, the, the leader who sentenced him to death, so that they can prepare it. Let's go on to verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus should have already died. And summoning the centurion, so this could be the very same centurion who looked up and saw the death of Jesus and had this profession of faith. So he, the, Pilate summoned him and asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned that the centurion, uh, from the centurion that he had died, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking Jesus down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he, Jesus, was laid. 
So let's just note a few things now from these verses. The first is that there has been a debate throughout time from those who want to disprove the death and resurrection of Jesus is they make up, this is my opinion, it's going to sound harsh, but there's a, a lot of reason why I say it this way. They have tried to create some really silly, silly explanations of why Jesus didn't die and was resurrected. Um, some of them will say that Jesus actually only appeared to die. Uh, some will say, well, he wasn't really resurrected. The women actually went to the wrong tomb. So they got lost, and they found the wrong tomb. And of course, it was empty because it wasn't the right tomb. And, and so that's how that rumor got started. What Mark is detailing is he's naming names. And it's important to understand that. These individuals would have been alive and around to dispute this, or, or people could have asked them, or people could have disputed it. But Mark is naming names. And what he's declaring is that Jesus really died. And this is pivotal. Jesus was dead. So Jesus took the whipping that would have caused his body to bleed, and he would have lost blood, and he would have been getting sicker and sicker throughout the day. Jesus was nailed to a cross. He would have had, again, extensive loss of blood. He would have got weaker and weaker, which would have caused him to ultimately suffocate because that's what the crucifixion did. Their arms were spread out. They couldn't get air into their lungs. They would have to push up from their legs, but there was nails in there. Eventually, they would become so in so much pain, so tired, lose losing blood that they would have no strength, and they would just drop down, and it would suffocate them to death. Jesus then had a spear go up through his side. Again, Jesus was dead, but there are many witnesses. The first in this account is Joseph of Arimathea. He saw that Jesus was dead. They also named the centurion who's standing there, whose job it is to confirm the death of these criminals. This was not his first, okay? So the centurion confirms it. The women that were there looking at Jesus confirm it. Pilate confirms it as a leader, would have had his men check it to confirm it. So Jesus was really dead. Then at the end of that, the last verse we read, he's also signifying that the women accurately detailed where Jesus was buried. So he was dead. Joseph of Arimathea took his body, possession of it with Nicodemus, and they placed him in the tomb that Joseph, who was a very wealthy man, had bought, most likely for himself, for his family, potentially. But it was a tomb that wasn't being used. Jesus was placed there. So the women accurately were telling where it was. And this is really important. As Mark is saying this, he is exposing or outing Joseph of Arimathea. So it's possible at this point that he's seeking for the kingdom of God. He might have kept his, his seeking or his heart as a secret because he, he didn't know. He wanted to see, is Jesus who he says he is? Uh, again, I keep mentioning Nicodemus. Do you remember the account in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus in private, who's a, another religious leader, goes to Jesus and is asking him questions because they're seeking. So these two, at some point, we're still in secret, but Mark is explaining, and I'm sure at the point that Mark wrote it, these two had become men of faith because Jesus would have been resurrected. But in this moment, he's explaining that these individuals who were doubters, they saw Jesus and they were a part of this process. And when I say doubters, they just weren't fully convinced. And so it's important to know that because he's exposing, saying, if you have any questions, you can talk to these two individuals that went from religious Jewish leaders, questioners, to men of faith. And then Joseph, I I love this. This is just my simple perspective. All of the disciples abandoned Jesus. So I just want you to think about for a second. What if Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus didn't step up? Jesus would have been dead on the cross. 
his body would have been not treated the same way. God the Father stirs the heart of Joseph of Arimathea to take care of his son. The Father used Joseph and Nicodemus to take care of his son. And that's a really beautiful thing. It's a sad reality that Jesus had to die, but it's a beautiful thing that the Father took care of him in preparation for the the most incredible day, the day of resurrection. And so Jesus, when we think about his death, his death on the cross, as he took the the punishment that, that brought us peace with God, he took our sin upon his body, what a humble way to show us his love. He was hung in humiliation on the cross, hung naked there. He was taken down, placed into a a humble cave, really is what it was. He was placed on the rock. He was anointed with the different oils. We know from scripture that Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe, and it was placed on him. He was wrapped in a shroud, but he was placed in this dark place, completely dead, and a stone covered it in complete darkness, really dead. And why did Jesus do that? He did it for us. His death became the sacrifice on our behalf. If there was no death, then we would have no forgiveness of sin. Our sin demanded death. If the guilty die for their sins, that's that's just justice. You're getting what you deserve. But when the innocent dies on behalf of the guilty, there's the potential that the guilty may go free. And this is what Jesus was providing. He took our sin, our shame, our punishment, so that we would have the potential to live. But we know the story, how it ends, and this is what I'm, I'm going to have the privilege of looking at in tomorrow's Bible study. But if there isn't the Sunday event, then the death doesn't really matter. So this moment was still leading toward a greater moment. And so I pray that you will join in tomorrow's Bible study as we look at, you guess it, the resurrection. I hope to be with you tomorrow. Hope to see you guys on a Sunday. I love you. God bless.